step inside into the world of Lady Teal's Curios. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In this second installment of Lady Teal's Wanderings, we take a trek down Highway 1, south from Fort Bragg, and explore some of the curiosities along this curvaceous road. Highway 1 South was actually closed for a short duration below Fort Ross recently due to the wildfires that were set ablaze by lightning. The wildfires here in California spurred an unusual, albeit befitting of 2020 occurrence, a fire tornado. Yes, that's right, just when you think 2020 couldn't get any weirder, we get some crazy fire tornadoes here. Just to put it into perspective, the LNU Lightning Complex, which is what one of the major fires is being referred to as, is now the second largest fire in the history of California. We have bug out bags packed and ready to go for the worst case scenario. While the tragedy is not to be taken lightly, as there are many people who are displaced, homes and lives lost, natural wonders burned, I think it's important to remember that nature and Mother Earth have a way of coming back to life even stronger than before. As humans, we tend to look at the world with a very humanistic perspective. Yes, through natural disasters, some amazing ancient wonders are occasionally lost. But tragedies worse than this befell Earth centuries before you and I even existed. And we still managed to find remains of a life that once was, in the rubble of the Earth. Dinosaurs are a great example. What magnificent creatures! Just imagine how the Earth looked, and how they looked as they roamed about. Sometimes it's hard to look at the world with a universal perspective instead of our humanistic outlook. Our lifespan ranges up to a mere 100 years if we are even so lucky. Yet the world we live upon and the universe that surrounds us is billions of years old. Comprehend just how large one billion is. Makes you feel a little tiny, doesn't it? Part of the reason why I wanted to do this Wanderings series is to talk about fascinating finds and my travels, but also another reason behind this is to record the unique places I've been to and seen because I know they might not always be there. How wonderful it is to have memories of such places so that people in later years can look back and get a glimpse of what the world was like now. Join me tonight as we hop in the car and travel down Highway 1 to check out some of the roadside attractions that this scenic highway has to offer in Northern California. Now, when going somewhere new, I like to use a few different resources to map my journey. Roadside America is a great website for those roadside attractions and quick but fun little pit stops. My other favorite resource is Atlas Obscura. Atlas Obscura is an incredible resource for finding unique places, experiences, and even events. It allows you to search with a map function, or you can even search near your current location. Most of the locations we're talking about today can be found via Atlas Obscura or Roadside America. However, we did stumble upon most of these just by chance 
from exploring the area before I even pulled out my phone to look up the area on Atlas Obscura. We'll start in the town of Fort Bragg, which is north about an hour and a half from Wallala, the town we spoke about in the last episode. Fort Bragg has a lot of controversial history with Native Americans, especially seeing how the town name itself comes from the military officer who commanded the military post here, which had the sole purpose of keeping control of the Mendocino Indian Reservation. There have been a lot of petitions to have the name of the town changed since there is so much negative history behind it. But until then, we will refer to it as Fort Bragg since that is what it is known as today. We didn't really get to explore too much of the town. We mainly went to a special beach called Glass Beach. Glass Beach is a beach that is abundant in, you guessed it, glass. But the history of how the glass got there is almost as dirty as the name of the city itself. According to Atlas Obscura, in the 20th century, residents used this area as a dump and would discard everything from glass to appliances, even cars, over the cliffs. The area was even referred to as the dumps. And I found a few pictures of what the area looked like back in the 1900s. And you can see in one of the pics, there's just piles and piles of garbage sitting right next to the waves coming in from the ocean. I find that utterly incredulous. <laughs> in the late 1960s, city leaders closed the area in an attempt to correct the damage that had already been done. And in 2002, the state park system purchased the land, so it is now under California protection. Over the decades, the ocean has done a fine job of polishing the trash into beautiful multicolored sea glass that covers the entire beach. You'll often see sea lions sunbathing on the rocks across the way. And those rocks that the sea lions bathe on are actually what helped prevent a lot of the trash going out further into the ocean. Because there's several huge rock formations, this kind of helped the waves keep the trash coming back to the beach and helped pound the trash down into the pretty glass that you see today. After departing Glass Beach, hop back in the car and we're going to do a couple of quick stops in Point Arena. The Point Arena Lighthouse is our first stop and it is actually the tallest lighthouse on the entire Pacific coast, standing at 115 feet tall. Now, I know I said quick stops before, and that's mainly just because in this episode, we aren't really going to spend a lot of time on these next two locations. However, uh, when you go to visit them yourself, um, you can spend an immense amount of time at each location. They are by no means just like quick little stops. You can spend hours, even all day, at Point Arena Lighthouse. There are tons of trails, um, a lot of amazing views, and a small museum there at the lighthouse. So there's plenty to do there. You could spend the entire day, have a lovely picnic, and go out and explore the area. And same for the next stop. Um, so these are by no means just like quick little road stops. 
I mean, you can make them as quick as you want to in your own time, but I do think they are worth spending quite a bit of extra time. They're just going to be quick little blips here on the episode today. The history behind the lighthouse is interesting, as the whole reason it was erected was due to the amount of shipwrecks that were occurring. The original lighthouse that was built in the late 1800s was destroyed after an earthquake, and in the early 1900s, a new tower was rebuilt. You can find some of the lighthouse keeper's logs online and in the museum as well, and if you have a chance, I suggest checking them out. They're very entertaining to read. Next, we'll take a stroll down Bowling Ball Beach, which is south of the Point Arena Lighthouse. I would come at low tide to best see this beach, which has unusual rock formations across the beach line, which look like a bunch of bowling balls have been dumped there. The beach itself is expansive, and there are two trails. The whole area is called Schooner's Gulch. And if you're facing both of the trails, one will be on your left and one will be on your right. And if you want to check out the bowling beach, um, the bowling ball beach location, then you will want to take the trail to the right. If you go at high tide, it's almost impossible to see the rock formations. You would not even think anything of it. But coming at low tide, they look very cool. It looks almost otherworldly. All this exploring is making me hungry, but who am I kidding? I am always up for some gastro exploration. I suggest grabbing a bite at the delicious restaurant St. Ors. Be prepared to spend a pretty penny here, but I guarantee it will be worth it as you will enjoy the beautiful Russian-inspired architecture, gardens that are filled with vibrant flowers and friendly hummingbirds, and the view of the ocean from the patio. I highly recommend the basil martini. Now, I wouldn't have considered myself a martini person, but wowzers, this basil martini is delectable. After St. Ors, we'll continue down the ever-winding Highway 1 past the town of Wallala and down to the planned community of Sea Ranch. The first time we drove through Sea Ranch, we couldn't help but notice this peculiar building that had the shape of a witch's hat. Come to find out, this unique building is a non-denominational chapel that is open 365 days a year to the public. Much like many of the other buildings in Sea Ranch that are required to blend in with the natural surroundings, the Sea Ranch Chapel was built by local artists to flow with the nature that surrounds it. When I first gazed upon this uniquely designed structure, I immediately saw a witch's hat. And I asked Chris, and he said the same thing. He saw a witch's hat as well. Apparently, some people think it looks like a mushroom, and others will say a conquistador helmet. Now, I can kind of see the conquistador helmet, but I don't know. I'm having a hard time with the mushroom. (laughs) Let me know your thoughts on whether or not you think it looks like a mushroom when you check out the picture on Instagram. I visited this intimate little chapel on a weekday and spent some quality alone time in it. The insides are crafted with pieces of nature from the surrounding area. You'll see redwood, seashells, abalone, and stained glass. Sitting on one of the benches and following the curved lines of the interior is as if you are dwelling inside a seashell. The chapel was created to honor Kirk Ditzler, 
who regarded art as an intermediary between the spiritual and physical worlds. Artist James Hubble helped assemble a team, and instead of using construction plans, the team built the chapel based off of a model and sketches. The curved lines are a welcome contrast to the harsh edges and corners that line most of the Sea Ranch residences. I found much solace in the Sea Ranch Chapel, as it was one of the few spiritual places I have been in that welcomed believers of many different faiths, even those who do not believe in anything particular at all. The tranquility of the light shining through the colored stained glass and the natural elements that surround you make for a wonderful meditation spot. Outside, there is a fountain, and as I sat in silence, the fountain was the only sound I could hear, apart from the occasional chirp of a bird. Relaxed and inspired, I'm ready to hit the road again to our next destination, which just happens to be another artistic masterpiece. The Bufano Peace Obelisk, otherwise known as the Expanding Universe, can be seen from miles away as it sticks out straight into the sky at the edge of the Timber Cove Inn. Benny Bufano, a bohemian artist, created the Peace Obelisk with bright orange colors that stand out against the beaming blue skies. I learned after visiting the site that the artwork is actually located in the second smallest state park in California. It's a mere 60 feet circular park. Benny began working on the piece in the early 1960s, just a few months before the Cuban Missile Crisis struck. When looking at the sculpture from afar, it is clear that missiles inspired Bufano's work. It took seven years to complete the sculpture, and just a few months later, Bufano passed away. It is said that Benny Bufano opposed wars of any kind. In many other works of art that Bufano created, peace can be seen as a theme. And as a side note, if you want to learn more about themes in art, I highly suggest you check out Amy Markham's podcast, The Starling Creative, as she touches on subject matter and themes in art in some of her episodes. On one side of the Peace Obelisk, you will see abstract art, birds, and the face of the Madonna. On the other side, you will see another face, supposedly the universal child. The structure is 93 feet tall, and as I mentioned earlier, can be seen from miles away from Highway 1, and apparently 150 miles away out in sea. Bufano lived his life with artistic passion, and despised war so much so that when he severed his finger while cutting wood, he allegedly sent the severed part to Woodrow Wilson in protest of the war on Germany in 1917. He never received a reply to his bloody care package, but continued to assert that he severed his trigger finger in protest of war. For someone who was so obsessed with peace and love, his personal life was filled with questionable actions as he disavowed his marriages and disowned his children. Quoted from a couple of books on Bufano, which I will link in the show notes, the paradox raised by his personal failures as a husband and father cannot be fully explained or excused by his eclectic personality and fame. He espoused love, world peace, and respect for the planet's children, yet he turned his back on those who loved him most. Consumed with an artistic passion, 
He was obsessed with his own personal vision and work, often to the detriment of those closest to him. This little tidbit about Bufano fascinated me and perplexed me. How could someone who was obsessed with love and peace turn his back on his family? The more I dwelled on it, the more I thought of other artists who were consumed by their work. Vincent van Gogh came to mind. Perhaps there is something about certain talented artists that allow them to have this connection to other worlds or other planes so that they can provide these amazing visualizations, these amazing pieces of art to us. And in having that connection and to that other viewpoint, they have to kind of give up living a so-called normal life. To a certain extent, I can relate to the feeling of obsession that overcomes you when you enter a creative state of flow. The flow state is a sense of high, and any interruption is not only frustrating, but makes it even harder to get back to that same state of flow. Funny enough, for being so obsessed with his work, the Peace Obelisk was constructed wrong, and Bufano considered this work to be a bit of a failure. Many times Bufano said that he wanted the structure to look out over the ocean as a friendly gesture of peace. So while he was overseas, his friends took some initiative and helped lift the 5,900-pound head onto the top facing west. Come to find out it did not fit, so it took them some finagling to make it fit. And then once they had it fit properly, they put the hand on top. Imagine his disappointment when he arrived to Timber Cove to see his art pieced together in the wrong direction. This failure, however, could be seen as one of his greatest successes. Standing at only five feet tall, Bufano created art that was larger than life and envisioned his work on a grand scale. Bufano created over 500 pieces, and many of them he considered failures. This projectile of peace was his tallest creation, and arguably more successful than he may have realized as the obelisk faces the sunset, and now that it is protected by the California state parks, it will always be there until the land starts to erode away. And in a way, it's as if Bufano himself is standing there, welcoming visitors for centuries to come. Here is where we shall end today's journey, standing next to the Lady Madonna, looking out over the cliffs of Timber Cove into the sunset. As the sky around us turns a warm orange. Take this moment to envision your universe expanding. Reflect on the possibility that your so-called failures are more than you give them credit for. If you have the time, check out the roadside attractions near you. You may drive by them every day and not realize the intricate history and stories woven around them. And remember, it's because of inquisitive minds such as yours that each of our own universes or realities can collide and expand together to create even more beautiful worlds than we ever thought possible. 
Thanks for joining me tonight. Next week's episode will be journeying six feet under as we explore taphophilia and some stories behind some of my favorite cemeteries. Until next time, stay curious. After depart, <clears throat> after departing glass, Pete. <laughs>